0: Good morning, welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all the people who watch us online all over the world. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. And again, good morning to our campuses, Stevens Point and Appleton as well. Uh, Quick announcement. Uh, We have a special class that we're offering coming up April 21st and 22nd. It's going to be Friday night, 6.30 uh, to 9, Saturday morning, 9 to 12. Two-part class entitled Living Under the Influence. Talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I don't understand. Really? Anyone from Wisconsin should understand living under the influence. All right. (laughs) What happens when you're under the influence? You're not your normal self. Uh, And you say things you wouldn't normally say and do incredibly stupid things. That's being under the influence, of course, of alcohol. We're talking about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, where you actually start doing things you don't normally do, say things you wouldn't normally say, and act in ways that will even surprise you. It's called being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote, he said, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Live under the influence, the power of the Holy Spirit, that will change your life. And I promise you, if you're the kind of person, and there's a whole bunch of us, that you just try to live your Christian life on your own strength. It's all about you. I'm just trying to be better and trying to oh da, da, da. You will be very frustrated and you will struggle greatly. You need to learn how to walk under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. When you are being influenced of the Holy Spirit, it's just like, just like alcohol will cause you to be in ways you wouldn't normally be. The same thing happens only in the positive way. You're better than you would normally be. You're stronger than you would normally be. You're wiser than you were normally. You have better insights than you would have ever had on your own because you're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, so check out that class, April 21st and 22nd, uh, coming up. Also, we have a baptismal service. If you have come to faith as an adult now, You've been away from God to come to faith. You need to get baptized. That's the way it works. You believe and you're baptized. Well, I got baptized before I believed. Well, that's a little backwards, okay? Biblically speaking, you should believe and then get baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet as an adult who put their faith in Christ, you need to come and get baptized. Now, you can check with your campus pastors about the baptismal service that we're having. It's the Wednesday before Easter, okay? Wednesday night before Easter, uh, or you can email us at... uh, uh, Email to baptism at celebrationchurch.tv. Say, I want to get baptized. What do I need to do? Blah, 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 blah. And they will give you all the information. And then if you can forgive us over in Point and Appleton, I need to uh, just direct the attention to a strictly local situation. This Tuesday is a referendum. Uh, If you live around this area and you are able to vote on this uh, referendum for the improvement to Baird Elementary School, I urge you, I implore you, vote yes. Vote in the affirmative. Go vote. Very few people vote on off times like this. You have a chance to make a difference. Vote yes. You say, why? I don't like voting for stuff where they're spending more money. I'm telling you, we need it because it's going to increase more people living in and around this church. All right? They're going to double the size of that elementary school down there. There's also talk coming up of maybe a high school over here. That would be fabulous. It would draw more people to this area. The reason why Celebration Church... Green Bay Campus, is out here on the far east side in the middle of a cow pasture. Is because 20 years ago, the plan was the city is coming this way. Some of you geezers remember that, okay? We were here when we first started. It's all coming this way. Why do you think there's a four-lane road going off that way? There's really not that many people live that around here. And then the four-lane, got extended up from uh, the highway up this, because all of it was... They ought to do a four-lane in front of us. That's where all the traffic is. But the reason they did all that through here is because the city is moving this way. And Walmart was going to be down here. And, and then after they get all this stuff, Walmart decides, nah, we're not going to come over here. <laughs> Dirty rats. So anyway... Then the city decided to go that way, and it's been going off that way for quite some time. Now they're saying they think they're going to finally start building more of the city out in our direction. Praise be to God. But less likely to happen if everybody votes now and keeps that crowded grade school down there. So please, for the sake of the church and the kingdom of God, you'll be fine. Vote yes. All right. Um, We are in a series talking about the significant events of the Old Testament. Why are we doing this? Because what we learn in the Old Testament puts into context our faith. Why we believe the way we believe, why we do what we do, comes from all of this. The sad thing is most people today don't know these events anymore, or they've got kind of goofball goofball versions of it. So we're going through it. We started in Genesis at the very beginning. We are now up to the 24th chapter of Genesis. We're not going through the entire Old Testament. Fear thou not. It's going be another 20 years by the time Walmart gets here <clears throat> before, I, before I get done. So we're not doing all of it. We're just doing the significant, wow, that's why, we, oh, that's why we do this. Oh, that's why we do Okay. So now we are at Genesis, the 24th chapter. By this point now, Sarah has died. Abraham is, I don't know, he's 130 years old, whatever the deal is. He's, he's really getting up there. And now he's wanting to care for his son, who's not an adult man. He wants him to find a wife. He doesn't want him to marry any of the women from that area because of the influence of the pagan culture. He wants, them, he wants to find a, a wife from his family back in his hometown. So this is kind of a big deal. Now, to set this up, we're not going to start there. We're going to jump to a couple other places in the Bible this morning because I want you to take a look at some of the stuff that's in the Bible. Just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean you should do it. And not everything that's in the Bible is good. All right? There's a lot of stuff that's just recording what some people did. Some of them were dumb as bricks. Just because you see it doesn't mean you should go do it. What's in the Bible? And it's stunning to me how many Christians act in ways that are blatantly foolish from a New Testament perspective because they read it in the Old Testament. Now, Sometimes people say, well, how come you don't like the Old Testament? I love the Old Testament. I do. And that's why we're doing this because you learn so much. What irritates me is people who try to live their faith out like the Old Testament. We don't do that. There's a, we live in a new era. Jesus, the Messiah, has come. He has given us the full knowledge of God. He's revealed the whole truth to us. Uh, the apostles taught about it. We have a clear perspective on how to approach God. These guys did not. Even Abraham himself. This is 650 years before the Ten Commandments. They don't know Jack. All right. Well, then the Ten Commandments come and they start learning really about God and the way he does stuff. Well, then hundreds of years down the road, they basically go into what is their version of the Dark Ages in Israel, where people get so far from God that they're all jacked up again and they don't know what they're doing and they do some of the most ridiculous things. I want you to look at some of these events and I want to point out why we don't do things like this, even though it's in the Bible. Now, in Genesis, Judges, the 11th chapter, we read about a guy named Jephthah. Jephthah the Gileadite. He was a mighty warrior, the Bible says. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Well, the Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were growing up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any of our heritage in this family because you're the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. He was around a gang of scoundrels. He was the chief scoundrel. And he was a tough guy. He was a big, tough guy who accomplished a lot of stuff. Everybody saw what he did. But he was not a very religious man. He was a scoundrel. He's kind of like the Donald Trump of the Old Testament. All right? So here's a guy who's very successful, not particularly religious. But why? Why do we have a guy like that? Because the same thing happens here. Verse 4, sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the Israelites freaked. They couldn't. They were in trouble. The nation was in trouble. Nobody could figure anything out. Let's go get the scoundrel. Because at least the scoundrel does stuff. So that's what they did. They came to Jephthah from the land of Said, Come on, be our commander. Fight for us. Jephthah says, well, didn't you hate me and drive me away from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And the elders said, well, nevertheless... We are turning to you now. Please come. Help us. Get us out of the mess we are in. We know you're the kind of person who can do it. Well, in verse 29, as Jephthah is going off for battle, God starts to use this unspiritual man to advance the cause of saving the nation. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. So now the Spirit of God is already on him. He is going. God has given him favor. Well, he crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Zippah of Gilead, and from there advanced against the Ammonites. And then Jephthah made this incredibly stupid, moronic move. He swears to God. Oh, God, I swear to you, if you give me the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Okay? Now, we were laughing about this last week. Clearly, who did he think was going to come out of the door? His wife. He's basically saying, God, help me win, and I'll toast the old bat. All right? <laughs> now, some people got mad and said, you shouldn't call her an old bat. Look, I'm that This Jephthah. I mean, uh, her being an old bat is the least of her worries at this point. He wants to toast her. And uh, he was very disrespectful, and that's what he's thinking. Because who else? Because we're going to find out. In the, he said, well, what about his other kids? He's only got one other daughter. There are no other sons or daughters. She there's, there's, was the only child. He truly expected, he had to expect, that it would have been his wife coming out. And God, you do that, I'll offer her up as a sacrifice. Why would he do that? Because they're extremely corrupt. This is a very dark time. It's their version of dark ages like ours was back, you know, a thousand years ago, where truth was obscured and people were just darkness and ignorance. and, And this is the way they're living. They've totally lost track of the teachings of Moses and the Ten Commandments and stuff. They were more influenced by the heathens around them than they were by the truth of God. They were a mess. So this guy says, I swear to you, God, I'll do this. By the way, don't be swearing to God about anything. Well, it says so in the Bible. It's the Old Testament. Jesus said in the Old, you've heard it say, make your vows and keep your vows to God. Listen to me, he says, don't do that. Jesus specifically said, we should not be making vows to God. Don't be swearing, God, I swear to you, if you help me pass this test, I'll, you know, I'll go to church more. Don't talk stuff like that. All right? Do what you're going to do. He says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. This is ignorance gone to seed. People who still do this kind of foolishness. Don't be swearing to God. So anyway, Jephthah goes, he fights the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aarh <laughs> to the vicinity of Minith, as far as Abel kurim These people got get new names. This is bad. So thus Israel subdued Ammon, and then Jephthah in great triumph returns to his home in Mipsah. <laughs> expecting to see the old lady come out the front door. Who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels. She was an only child, except for her. He had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I'm devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Now, it's interesting when you study this, the theologians who do intellectual backflips trying to explain this away, they say, no, he didn't really kill her. And and it says that she went and mourned because she'd never marry. What it meant was, you know, she she just wasn't going to marry anybody and that was the sacrifice. No, it was not. There's no reason to defend this idiocy. He was a moron. Well, they didn't do that. Yes, they did. Over and over again, they did it. By the way... If your dad's going to toast you and your biggest worries, you're not going to get married. Something wrong with you. Look at Moses warned them about when they get into these city, these areas, not to let the heathens affect their thinking because they do terrible things. In Leviticus, he wrote, if the members of the community close their eyes, they ignore the fact that when a man sacrifices one of his children to Molech, he's one of those demigods that they worship as the pagans. And if they fail to put him to death, I myself will set my face against him and his family and cut them off from their people together with all who follow him and prostituting themselves to Molech. He's warning them, these gods, don't you be offering up your kids as sacrifices. Ezekiel wrote to the people, when you offer your gifts, the sacrifice of your children in the fire, you continue to defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. Am I... To let you inquire of me, you Israelites, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will not let you inquire of me. What that means, inquiring, is, is when they go to God for help. Now you're coming to me for help? You're living like a heathen. You've ignored everything I've taught you. You're so into this pagan worship. You're even taking your children and sacrificing them to false gods? In Chronicles, we read of a king. This idiot, verse 3 of Chronicles 20, 2 Chronicles 28. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. David wrote about it in the Psalms. He says, They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. Did Jephthah, this moron, sacrifice his daughter? Without a doubt. That's exactly what he did. Well, why did God approve of it? It doesn't say God approved of it. It just said God used the guy to beat back the enemies that were going to destroy the entire nation. The guy was clueless. My point is, people in the Old Testament prayed and did all kinds of stupid things. Just because you see it in the Bible, the Bible says, doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. There's a difference, a huge difference, between what the Bible teaches and what it records. And if you don't get that, you will live one totally confused Christian experience as you start to read the Bible. You don't get it. Well, the Bible says, I guess we're supposed to do this. No. Well, they did it. I know they did it, but that's them. It just records what they did. It's not what it teaches. You can tell what the Bible teaches because they repeat it over and over and over again and particularly for us in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, made clear the revelation of God. These guys are walking in darkness. When Abraham was walking around, it was 650 years before they got the Ten Commandments. They didn't know Jack. They just know there was this God. There's this God. They didn't have any rules. They didn't know how to live their lives. Then we read about Judges. Or, not, or one of the other judges. We're going to be about Gideon. This is Gideon, Judges sixth chapter. Now Gideon, Gideon was <laughs> Gideon was really kind of a weird dude. He was, uh, it starts out when it first talks about Gideon. He's hiding in the basement because the Midianites are in town, and they're kicking butt and taking names, and he's afraid. Instead of, of confronting the enemy, he's hiding, a grown man hiding. Most of us would have walked up and slapped him upside the head. But he's hiding. And the Bible says an angel appears to him and says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I'm a girly man. All right. I'm afraid of everybody. I'm afraid of everything. And he says, no, no, no you're a mighty warrior. And he starts to encourage him. An angel speaks to him. Another time he comes and he wants to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He brings a sacrifice. The Bible says an angel just touches it with a stick. Blah, flames come up and take I mean, this is pretty impressive. And the angel keeps telling him, go fight. I'm going to be with you. I'll give you success. You would think at this point it would be pretty, pretty clear what he should do. But Gideon is still nervous. So we read in verse 36, Gideon says to God, and actually he's talking to an angel by extension God, look, if you're going to save the Israelites by my hand as you've promised, I'm kind of nervous. I don't don't know. Is it really the right thing to do? Look, look, I'm going to place a wool fleece. On the threshing floor you know what a fleece is it's a lamb without the lamb in it okay it's the skin it's the furry thing we got one of those at the house very nice little fleece okay so they they take the fleece i'm gonna take the fleece and i'm gonna put it on the threshing floor and here's the deal next morning if there's if there's dew only on the fleece but all the ground is dry Ooh, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. This is the sign. God, here's the sign. I'm going to stick out this fleece, and then, you know, it'll be wet, but everything else will be dry, and then I'll know it's God's will. So God, tolerating his ignorance, made it happen. That's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, and had a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon says to God, You know, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm still torn. I'm a little conflicted. Don't be mad. Let me make another. One more test. One more test with the fleece, okay? But this time, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And then God, probably rolling his eyes, did so. Only the next morning, the fleece was dry, but all the ground was wet. This is what is referred to biblically as setting a fleece before the Lord. Now, we don't do stuff like You're not supposed to do. I'm stunned at how many people still do the fleece thing. The problem, if you do fleeces, you're going to get fleeced. All right? We don't do stuff like that because that's not how God directs us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us in the truth. So I don't know what that means. Then come to those classes. All right? And I've heard people even in this congregation say, so, you know, I know it's God's will because I was praying and, and then a squirrel ran by me and I knew it was a sign from the Lord. No, it was just a squirrel. Don't be doing stupid stuff like that. You know, I'm trying to find God's will. I wasn't sure if I should work at Burger King or McDonald's. I was at Burger King. I was, oh, God, help me to understand. Like, God cares. Just pick a job. So, oh, oh what, what should I do, God? And, oh, Lord, if it's your will, have someone walk by me, you know, with a white, with a yellow tie, and have him say hello to me, and then I'll know it's supposed to be Burger King. I hear I got crazy stories I've heard from some of y'all. Don't you be talking like that. Don't that's not how you find out God's will. I knew it was God's will because I was praying and, and suddenly I the you know the, the back screen door went. And I knew the spirit had come into the room. No, you need to lock your doors, what you need to do. Don't be doing stupid. Stupid stuff. Don't do stupid. Ever say, don't do stupid? Okay, we have the Holy Spirit. The point is we don't set fleeces before the Lord to discover God's will. These people were clueless. Even into the New Testament, just before the Holy Spirit comes, the uh, the apostles are all gathered together. Jesus had been crucified, buried, resurrected from the dead. He'd been there with them. They saw him climb, take off into heaven, and, but the final words Jesus said is stick around in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So they're waiting. They're waiting. This is Acts the first time. They're waiting. So they're waiting. And then they realize, you know, they're short an apostle because Judas, you know, <laughs> you know hanged himself. So they said, well, we can't be short an apostle. You got to have 12, right? So it says here in Acts 1, 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus guy's got a lot of names, man. Like a serial killer. Three names. (laughs) Joseph Barsimus Justice. All right. And Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us. Oh, God. See, these kind of prayers, you're not supposed to pray anymore. Because they stop. It never happens again from here on. When the Holy Spirit comes, no one ever does stuff like this anymore. They're praying for a sign. Oh, God. Don't be doing sign stuff, Okay. Oh, which of this, Lord, uh, you know, uh, which of these two have you chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs? All right. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. You know what lots are? It's like straws. They pick straws. And what they do is all the straws are the same size except for one straw. It's either shorter or longer. And whoever gets the short straw, long straw, then that. So that's that's how they pick the next apostle straws. It would be like, I drop over dead tomorrow, and which let's not plan on. And then, uh, and then they decide, who's going to be our next pastor? Well, we'll get a bunch of guys together, and we're going to draw straws. Oh, Lord, Joseph, which one? Whoever gets a short straw, that's our new pastor. No, we don't do stuff like that. That's what they did. Don't be looking for signs. Oh, God, show. People do stuff like this. There's Christians that, you know, literally, <sighs> I know some of you do this. I'm not trying to be mean. Just stop it. Their way of being led of the Spirit, you open the Bible and you just randomly, and then you drop your finger to see the verse. Oh God, what's your direction for me? That'll get you in trouble. Okay, because you might go like this and go, Judas went and hanged himself. Go and do thou likewise. You know, no. Goodness gracious. So my point is we don't rely on random coincidence to know God's will. All of that to get us back to Genesis chapter 24. Now in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is now concerned about getting, as I said earlier, Isaac a wife. So we read about it in chapter 24, verse 1. Abraham now was very old. The Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the senior servant. You got servants, then you got the head servant. This is the head servant of his household. The one in charge of all that he had. And he tells him this. Put your hand under my thigh, and I want you to swear by the Lord, which we're not supposed to be doing now. Okay, they don't know Jack. By the way, you know how I, tell you, I told you that oftentimes the translators of the Bible don't really trans- translate things accurately because... You know, they're prudish and goofy, and, and it really irritates me. This one, I'm kind of glad they didn't really give it the right version. Because it wasn't his thigh. It was his manhood. You doubt me? Look it up. I learned about this a year ago. Jimmy Bratcher told me. I said, you know what that meant? I said, no, I never understood it. It, says, it means he grabbed his manhood. I said, no way! He said, look it up, and I did. You doubt me? Go Google it. And look at all the theologians who will tell you that, in fact, what it meant is he put his hand on his manhood. I want you to swear to me. Listen, today, I'm going to shake your hand. All right? I, I ain't touching your stuff, man. I promise nothing. Why would they do that? Because that's what they did. Even the translator wanted to put his hand under my thigh. You know, they don't want to. I ain't translating that. When his thigh... Next week, I might even show you. There's, there's old uh, paintings of this where the guys, you know, you know, they're blessing him and the guy's got his hands up on his thing. You know, it's so like, whoa! Because that's literally what they did. Yeah, I don't, it was just culture. just different. You know, it was there. By the time of the New Testament, it had moved up to the bowels. That was where you felt compassion, right? Paul said, if you really care about me, Show bowels of compassion. Why would they say that? Because I guess that's where you really feel stuff. Now it's our heart. Praise the Lord. We're moving north. All right. I mean, that's, you know, to say I love you from the bottom of my heart is a lot better than I love you like my bowels. Okay. I I can tell I love you because I really feel it down here. All right. This is just just culture. It's a different culture. What they did is he. (laughs) Okay. So I want you to swear by the Lord. and And some people say, well, why would they do that? The theologians say it's because it was to touch the covenant. Remember what the covenant was? Snip, snip. Circumcision. All right. This was the promise of God. This was the sign of the Lord. Grab the sign and swear that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. No, 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 we don't want those hot chicks among whom I'm living. I want you to go back to my country, to my own relatives, to get a wife for my son Isaac. He was supposed to go find a cousin for Isaac to marry. That's what they did. It was the thing, all right? So the servant put his hand under his (laughs) thigh. And swore an oath concerning this matter. So now the servant goes, and now he goes to find a wife for Isaac. We're talking about this next week. We're picking up here next week because we're out of time now. But this is one of these significant events in the Old Testament that Christians. I'm stunned, stunned, overwhelmed to the point of grief and despair at times. I get so frustrated with some of my fellow pastors and stuff. Seriously, they still use this part of the Bible to explain how to find a husband and a wife. And it irritates me to no end. Because what this guy does is he starts to pray, Oh, Lord, show me the one you have chosen for Isaac. Pastors still do this. It's stunning to me. This is not how you go to find a spouse, asking God to reveal to you the one. Okay, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to show you what the Bible teaches us, not what it showed this guy. This is some unnamed servant who grabbed Mr. Grabs, okay, and, and made off in the sing and makes his promise and goes, and he doesn't know anything. Oh, God, show me the one you have chosen. Man, I just talked to a pastor recently from Africa, Ethiopia, or wherever the heck he was from, and I'm telling him what the Bible teaches about The New Testament clearly teaches how you're supposed to approach a wife, getting a husband or wife. You use your brain. You make a choice. It's up to you. And all he said to me is, what about Genesis chapter 24? And I was like, seriously? Even there they've been corrupted. It's not about Genesis 24. They haven't even seen the Ten Commandments yet. They don't know Jack. We don't even know this guy. All kinds of people in the Old Testament prayed and did crazy things. It's not what the Bible teaches. So I want to set the significant event to rest, and I'm going to show you, all you single people out there, and you, <laughs> how to do this thing, what the Bible says. Don't be looking for some magical one. There is not one. And to this day, every time I teach that, somebody comes up to me, no matter where I'm at in the world, say, well, what about Genesis, Genesis chapter 24? What, and what about Jephthah the moron? What about the fleece? I mean, if you really believe this stuff, you do all kinds of stuff. You say, Lord, you know, first man that comes out of the elevator with a red tie, I'll know that's the one I'm supposed to marry. We don't do crazy, okay? This guy was a little crazy, but despite his crazy, God used him. And we're going to take a look at this. Uh, and actually, there's a lot of revealing stuff in this, all right? The whole point of this is we want to really start to understand there's a difference between what the Bible teaches us and what it shows us as a historical record, okay? We want to build our lives on what the Bible teaches. You want to live successfully in life? The Bible will show you, but you got to read it, okay? Sleeping with your Bible won't do you any good. A lot of people, do the Bible as like a, a talisman to keep away demons. It doesn't keep away demons. The devil's probably sitting on your Bible at home right now waiting for you to get home. Where are they at, you know? It's not magical. You got to read it. You got to get it inside you. You should be coming to these ones-night Bible studies. But I know you got to watch Gilligan Island reruns. It's important. <laughs> you want your life to be blessed. You want to succeed. You got to learn what the Bible actually teaches you, and don't make mistakes by pulling some random scriptures out of the Bible and say, well, they did it there. That's what the Bible teaches." No, that's no, what the Bible records. It's not what it teaches. And we're going to see that difference as we pick this up again next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to grow from it, to learn from it. Lord, you are the author and giver of life. You've given us the instruction manual about how to succeed. Lord, help us to find those sections that teach us how to succeed and to realize there's a big difference between what your word teaches us versus what has been recorded over the thousands of years until the Messiah came. And we ask you for wisdom and insight. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that we can greatly succeed, that you do want to bless us. But help us to have wisdom. Help us to be smart. Help us to be intentional. Help us to do life right. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. See you next Sunday.